and welcome to Tell the Damn Story. I am Christopher Ryan, an award-winning hybrid author, teacher, multi-platform creative, and former award-winning journalist. Also on the mic is Kids Comic Con and the Color of Comics Exposition founder, Alex Simmons, an award winner since 1996, including an Inkpot Award from the San Diego Comic Con and three Glyph Awards from the East Coast Black Age of Comics Con. He has written Sherlock Holmes, Tarzan, Batman, Superman, and Scooby-Doo, among so many more beloved characters, and is the creator of the legendary African-American soldier of fortune, Aaron Blackjack Day, whose 1930s adventures comment on today's social problems. On Tell the Damn Story, we celebrate the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully, along the way, help you decide how you want to tell your own damn story. Hey, Chris, we're live, by the way. It's 12 noon, and we're live and on Facebook. And welcome to Tell a Damn Story on Facebook Live. <laughs> okay, so we got, we've got the logo up, which is nice. You know, I just thought it was a cool way to start it out, you know, just let everybody see that before they are dazzled with our, our wonderful, you know, and, and handsome and beautiful countenance. So here we yeah. go. I'm going to stop the share. And everybody's going to get to see Chris Ryan, Alex Simmons, and Dr. 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 Vanessa Hintz. Hey, everybody. Here we are. Here we are. Hello, Thanks. hello, hello. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Yeah, it was a good morning for you. It's still oh, it's yeah. afternoon for us. <laughs> Good day, just, good day. Everyone. Just barely afternoon, though. Just barely afternoon. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Doc, I got to tell you, um, th- this is a rarity. I never wear Hawaiian shirts on Tell the Damn Story. But since it's you and since we're going to be talking horror, you know, the uh, Alex Simmons, the, you know, the teacher of all teachers one time told me that what you talk about is attracted to you, right? So what you write about attracted to you. So just in case we attract any horrible creatures, I figure I'd dress like Alex Simmons. So we confuse the two of them, you know, and the, 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 the horror guy would go, oh, and then you could get him on a couch and tell him, all right, so tell me when this began. Right. So that's the plan. <laughs> That's a great plan. Well thought out. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, tr- truly, truly well thought out. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Vanessa, can we call you Vanessa? Do you want us to call you Doc? I mean, you can call me Vanessa. Please do. This is a Doctor okay, Vanessa so- Hintz. Is that how we say the last name? Yes. Hintz. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Welcome, um, welcome, welcome to tell the damn story. Let's tell everybody a little bit about you. Uh, You are a licensed clinical psychologist, and you work with clients with a wide array of presenting issues. Uh, You're an active proponent of multicultural theory, and you work dynamically to understand how individuals make meaning of the world within their cultural context. You are also a self-proclaimed geek therapist, which is why you're here today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is the land of that kind of fun. Um, you incorporate elements of pop culture into treatment and training when beneficial. And we want to talk to you about that. You also work as an assistant professor at Alverno College, and you're the founder of Vivid Insights. 
insights, which we'd like to hear about, uh, that utilizes expertise in psychology and human behavior to provide consultation focused on the principles of equity, diversity, and inclusion. I, I have to say, Doc, the, the, the mix is fantastic. Thank you. I, I love the uh, uh, inclusion and the forward thinking and all that. And then a healthy dose of horror. Yes. <laughs> I got to jump I mean, in and say that there's also comics in there, but we're, we're going to focus on horror today. But she's yes, also a comic book geek. You know, yes, so she's like full blown, well, you know, intense, you know. Yes. When it, whatever comes up, we're ready to handle. I'm just going to turn up our volume on my side a little bit so I can hear everybody well. Um, and while you're doing that, let me just quickly say to our listeners, by the way, yes, I know it's Tell the Damn Story, and we've done some great stories to tell here today. But once again, for those of you who are thinking, well, what's this got to do with writing and creativity? It's got everything to do with writing. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it's it does. It's how the characters impact us. It's how we impact our characters. It's what we bring to the table as creatives that influence and impact on our work and therefore impact on our audience. So, yes. Aura, this, which I avoid like 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 the plague, you know, this lady dives into with both hands. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, uh, our wall of non-paying sponsors would attest to the uh, uh, the usefulness of horror. Um, yes, Doc, these are all our friends and all their productivity. Um, and we would suggest that, that horror is a part of whatever you write, whether it's mystery, you know, if there's a murder, that's horror. You know, um, the, all the many, many things that Aaron Blackjack Day, which is what Al, Alex... Uh, the premier Alex Simmons creation. No, there are, you know, the number is Legion, Doc. You know that. <laughs> um, he has to deal with horrors in everyday life, yeah, whether it be war, uh, the racism of the 30s or war or terrorism. I mean, the, it's, so I, I, I kind of break down that wall. However, I know that you can talk about classic horror as well. So let's see where we can go. Um, Doc, can you tell us? I, I know you want us to play Vanessa. It's, um, I yeah. love saying Doc on the show. It's like, oh, tell the damn story as a doctor. Hey, now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your roots? How did, you know, what's your secret origin? How did you get to be a clinical psychologist slash horror geek? That's a great combination. Yeah, so I think the horror geek came first, obviously. <laughs> um, the first the first scary movie I watched and fell in love with when I was entirely too young um, was Jason Goes to Hell. Um, Jason is by far one of my most favorite characters of ever. I have him tattooed on me because that's... that's wow. I love wow. Um And I will tell you why. I will tell you why, Shirley. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want to hear, too. I, yeah. I, would <laughs> think, I would think I'm not paying the bill. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> But oh, I, the money? <laughs> yeah, I, I fell in love with, with horror then. Um, and as I was like going through school, all of that, whatever, I just, you know, continue to watch scary movies, whatever. When I got to graduate school, when I was doing my graduate studies in um, clinical psychology, I took a class called Geek Culture and Psychotherapy. And so it was a class where we really shout out to Dr. Patrick O'Connor, who was really forward thinking and allowed me to start on this journey um, that I'm on now. But in that class, we really just leaned into our geekdom and how we can utilize that in the work that we do with our clients. And um, 
the rest is history, I think. Um, and so now I think that, you know, horror specifically deals with so many sort of existential elements and I am an existential therapist. So the, the, it just, it just fits for me. But I think outside of that in the larger realm of popular culture, there's a reason that we, you know, stand for things that we really, 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 really love in popular culture. And I think if we can utilize that for healing and for belongingness, why not? You know? So, so where were you when you met this particular uh, professor? His name again? Dr. Patrick O'Connor. Dr. Patrick yeah. O'Connor. Where, where did you meet him? Yeah, so I did my graduate studies at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Very cool. Um, so, yeah. so you're there and you were taking I'm, I'm, uh, an array of courses, of course. Yes. But that one jumped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you yeah. know being nerdy you know first of all i think it's become much more in vogue of late sure. because of okay. you know, marvel and mcu and all that now it's cool whatever um i think before that it was kind of like something that was separate and even i think still to this day in the in the realm of academia it's kind of like okay that's cute that you like those mm. things and that you know whatever but i think that i think that class and what i'm attempting to do now is to pave that way and you know like this is cute and it is like this is science this is research this is whatever you want to call it and so i'm like determined to pave that way um for popular culture particularly in the field of psychology but also just in the work that i do around equity and inclusion there's so much richness in the stories that we see every day on the screen in cinema whatever on you know in books and comics like what why not you know it's such a a gift that we have all of these things to utilize why would we not why we got to be so stuffy? Well, I think um, I think there's a generational shift going on, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that you're you're part of that uh, that shift, and all hail that shift, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I think the pandemic has helped push pop culture even further into the uh, forefront of what we relate to and how we get our information and how we help decide who we are, what we are and what we believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, would you agree, disagree? And could you speak on that for a while? Agree wholeheartedly. I think that, you know, when we were sort of one blessing that I think came out of the pandemic was that we, it was a hard stop. Like we are so go, go, go. We're in the culture of what I got to do task oriented. Like I got to go, 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 go. And the universe was like, eh, no, we're going to stop for a little bit. And I think in that, obviously there were, I think, you know, a, a spectrum, a range of things that happened, right? For some people, it was very difficult. Um, Cause when you have to stop doing, you have to start feeling. And when you start yeah. feeling, sometimes mm. that's not a fun experience. Um, and where I think pop culture comes into that is pop culture helps us to feel for better or for ill. Um, oh, I yeah. think one thing, and I tell my students this all the time, one of my coping skills, I still watch The Young and the Restless. Like I've been watching The yeah. Young and the Restless since forever because sure. that's my escape. Like sure. they do the same five storylines, like recycle them like every three years, whatever, but I love it. I love it. It's outrageous. And I love it because it gives me an opportunity to escape. Similarly, I think that's what horror does for me. Um, sometimes it it beats too much but you know I think there is when we feel sometimes it's easier to feel like a one degree removed so I'm going to feel for that person that's not me but you're still feeling feelings so I think that that's great you know what I'm saying 
And we consumed so much pop culture from the safety of our couch mm-hmm. with a light on if we needed it. <laughs> All the time. Right? right? I, so, so I want to just... I'm, I'm sorry, I just oh, want to quickly... Ladies um, and gentlemen, here's Alex. Yeah, here's Alex. Da, 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 da. Okay. Um, you said a couple of things. I mean, you said a number of things, but two things I just want to sort of focus on for just a moment. You, you talk about feelings, and, and then there's also... There's, there's horror, and then there's gore. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, first off, the feelings, especially when it contains to, or, or pertains to, rather, uh, creatives. Do you feel that in the horror stories, people are identifying uh, with the, the creature, the villain, the, the murderer, whatever, or the victims, or the force that stands between the villain and the victims? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great question. Like a therapist, I'm going to say it depends because I think it depends on the person who is engaging with the the horror. Because, for example, people who have been victimized may um, may align with the victim. People who have felt that, who have felt you know a sense of not safety, you know, like insecurity, all of that. People who have been villainized, as in marginalized folks in America, oftentimes identify with the villain, and I think a good example of this is not necessarily horror, but I think we could take it there. The Joker is one of the most beloved villains, supervillains of ever. And I think mm. it's because a lot of people who have been villainized by society can can pick up what he's putting down because he just doesn't care. He doesn't give a damn. And so, you know, he's just out here like really leaning into that. And so I think that there's a part of us that yearns for that. Okay, if you're gonna victim or if you're gonna villainize me. I'm going to lean into that and I'm going to, you know, whatever. And so I think that for, it all depends on where we are in our space. And I think even for me, there are certain films that I've seen over and over and over again. And there are some times when I like, Ooh, I feel connected to that character, to that person, depending on where I am in my life, what's going Mm. on in, in my world. And so I think that it absolutely depends, but I think every time we engage with a story, a film, whatever, we can have a different experience Sometimes for good, sometimes for not, sometimes for whatever. You know what I'm saying? Part of it is the familiarity of the story, but the other part is what you bring in at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently had, recently being the last, let's say the last two years, we had a combination of real-life horrors, and I'd love to hear what you uh, can comment on as far as how horror reflected on that you know i mean yes the worldwide pandemic truly scary Mm -hmm. the enemy you couldn't see right but i would politely make an argument that the enemy we could see was scarier Mm. you know the cop who was you know killed george floyd and from there an almost sadly endless list of other victims mm-hmm. you know um it speaks strongly to the grace of uh, african americans that their one of the major reactions was black lives matter rather than tear everything down i mean if there was ever a reason to say all right enough mm-hmm. that that viral video where well you know we know we know what the what the, the video was um can you speak on dealing with those real life horrors 
-hmm. and then what what connection did you see with Hara? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. I will say that um, I've never seen the George Floyd video, nor will I ever watch that a day in my life because that is a horror film. That is a, that is horror to me as a black person. Um, I've, there's there a number of these, you know, public lynchings that we've seen over the past couple of years. I, I do not want to see that. I do not want to see that. And the fact that that was sort of broadcast so widely over, you know, across the country and across the world as a black person, that was a horrific experience. And so I think that, um, to, I think to be black in America, to be marginalized in America is to live a horror movie every single day, to live a trauma and, and a tragedy every single day. Um, I was fortunate enough to sit on a panel with the cast of the film American Skin. Um, and that was actually a conversation we got into in, in that discussion is I would categorize that as, as a horror. That was a horror movie to me. Um, it was so deep, so intense, so real. And yeah. to me, the horror that scares us the most is the one that is closest and the one that yeah. it, it is the most real. Which again, Jason, that's not a real person. Right. Existentially, yes. Physically, in the world, no. Oh. And so I think I can consume that over and over and over again because I know he's not going to show up at my door like, hey, what's up, you know? But yeah. I think we think about other films like Get Out, um, and, and things like that, that is real to a lot of folks. And so I think, uh, and, and more recently Lovecraft country, this, the mm -hmm. series, which is amazing. If you haven't yes. seen it, shame on no. you, you know, um, I think that these, there's such a connection, you know, <laughs> like with it, that it is equally validating and terrifying at the same right. time. The, uh, the difference I would, um, respectfully, uh, uh, offer between the George Floyd film and Lovecraft Country or Get Out or any of those is um, if you were ignorant like me and were just innocently watching the news and not realizing or, you know, your friend says that you have to see this, you didn't realize what you, you were hitting play for. Mm -hmm. And unlike any of those films or shows, there is no break in the dynamic tension you know mm -hmm. you i found myself like so many other others who were you know foolishly subjected well, well I, you know what I, I think i think i needed to to see it honestly with all respect because you have to see if you don't understand you have to see the naked brutality to get a glimpse you know um and I kept waiting for this guy to get up. I had this, you know, I come from a family of cops. I had this faith and it never happened. Mm -hmm. And it just became more and more and more and more horrifying. And then, you know, we, we watched the aftermath and all that stuff. Lovecraft country eases you in. Mm. Right. And you get a, uh, you get a little, um, uh, kind of false sense of security <laughs> and then whoop, and by then it's too late you don't know where the exit is you know <laughs> it's got it sucks in you even if you have to come back next week or wait for the next episode to start you're in you know exactly. yes. and, and that, that's the power and the glory you know 
So, with, what, you know, and again, I, I, where we are with this is, do you feel that, and, and we can go back to the horror films of the 40s and 50s. Oh, we're, 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 we're going like to get to those. Right, yeah, but, you know, the, we, can, we can go back there, but we can also look at, do you feel that, that horror films uh, adjust to the societal frame of mind at any given decade? Or do we adjust as we see these horrors? I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of curious which way you think it goes. Because, you know, one thing is a vampire, which has now become a sexual thing. But one thing's vampires and, and walking dead monsters. And then suddenly it's, it's slasher films and, and uh, psycho killers. And then we're back to uh, the undead again. And now we're at, you know, the zombie apocalypse 14. So I'm just curious. What is happening? Are we matching the horrors or are the horror matching us? I'm such a therapist and I'm going to say that's an impossible question to answer because I don't, I think it's symbiotic. I think that it is, there's no way to, I'm such a scientist. I don't think we can prove causation in this, in this sense. I think there is correlation and I think that it is impossible for us to create a creative product that is not influenced by culture and vice versa. Like mm. I, I, it's just, it's impossible to separate those things because we are inherently relational beings and everything that I do is influenced by what I come into everything that I do because I don't exist in a bubble um, because I just can't existentially. I can't, I exist right. in, a, in a world. So I think that those, and I think a good example of that, and I'm not sure if I'm speaking ahead, but I'm gonna, um, yeah, they go talked ahead. about go, go this in the, in the documentary, I think it was called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue. But, you know, Freddy Krueger of the 80s was like the direct antithesis to like the whole return to morals type of argument situation. He just was like everything that that was not. And I think there were more fans of him. I mean, I wasn't there, but there were more fans of him than maybe like, I think it was Reagan at the time. or <laughs> I don't even know. Um, but I think he, like, that is an example of, okay, there was, there's a, there's a piece of slasher films that is sort of like in alignment with that. Like, okay, if you do drugs, if you have sex, like you about to get dead. And there's these larger than life characters that are like, yeah, like total, like, you know, and so I think it's just very interesting how those two things coincide, um, okay. how they, you know, influence one another. Um, so, so then how would you say that you're, because you've, you've, you've hinted at this a couple of times, how do you see Jason then? <laughs> I was waiting for this. Yeah, okay. um, so Jason to me is like the ultimate uh tragic character uh if you think about his just backstory right like he was like differently abled from birth bullied from birth only had his mom where did his dad go i don't know he was never there it was just him and his mom that was his person and he witnessed her being murdered savagely 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 murdered and jason would leave everybody alone if they just left him alone. Like, I told you not to come around me. This is my space. Stop colonizing my space. Stop coming into my space. But people continue to do so and they continue to get dead. And so I think, but when we think about Jason, just again, that story, right? If Jason were a client, we would have all the empathy in the world for him because of the intense trauma he experienced. Again, from birth, differently abled, had physical deformities, cognitive, all of that 
differently abled, only had his mom. She was his person, his go-to, his cheerleader, his everything. Okay, we're going to integrate you with society. We know kids are cruel. Kids are mean. They were mean to him. Killed him. He drowned, whatever. Then he really didn't. And then he sees his mom get her head cut off. Spoiler alert. So it's kind of like, of course he he's messed up, so to speak. He's having a trauma response. But also, again, people would not don't come into his space. He said, no, this is not for you. This is for me. But people just do what they want and colonize. And so here we have 11, 12 movies later, people still didn't get that picture. You should just leave him alone. This is not reading the stay out sign is what you're saying. (laughs) I don't. And every time you come back there, something terrible happens. Maybe you should stop. I don't know. But of Um, course, you know, know, that's that's such a great, uh, American tale, but but America is not the only one that it applies to. But it's a pretty American tale, you know. Uh, if I could ask uh, two questions with Jason, and then we'll play with some other stuff. Um, let if do you mind playing? Uh, of course. Okay, so knowing what you know and what you just uh, uh, gave us about uh, what would be in his file, right? Uh, if they came to you, whoever they are, you know, they uh, they think of the people that you work with and would accept a client from, right? And they say, Doc, this this one's all you. He really needs your help. Mm-hmm. And into your office comes Jason, as you see him, mm-hmm. mask, machete, mm-hmm. onesie. <laughs> okay. How would you begin therapy? <laughs> first of all, first of all, that's down the blade. <laughs> that, that's a Dickies jumpsuit that he's wearing. So oh, there you go. Um, for, first of all, we would I have would to get be- my head cut off for calling it a onesie. So I'm gone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we would have to be separated. Uh, by, sure, by whatever whatever I physical barrier, sure. Yeah, we need. I, I, you can't be walking in here with a machete, and I'm just gonna yeah, be okay I with it. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Maybe. know. If you, you know, you you have complete control. You're in one so, side of the unbreakable glass. He's the other. You can describe what he would be, how he would mm-hmm. appear, whatever you want. But I'd love to hear how you would approach this situation, this patient. And I think the first thing we have to recognize, which I think oftentimes maybe we don't, where he is cognitively, right? He's not going to be a person that we could sit and have a whole talk therapy session with. He just is not there mentally. We see that over and over. He's very um, carnal, um, Mm -hmm. but you know, and so first and foremost, we need to establish how are we even going to do this right now? How are we even going to have these conversations? He shows in various movies, like some level of understanding. So I think the first thing is to assess that. Um, I think the other thing that can't be negated again is the, is the trauma that he's experienced. That doesn't, you know, excuse all the things that he's done. It also gives it a different context. Whereas again, just to sort of juxtapose him with like Freddy Krueger, for example, he, he also experienced a trauma, but that was because he was a child molester. And in a yes, yes. so it's a very, very, very different context. Um, and so I think that that when working and, and again, it's another reason that I love the character of Jason because his context is so complex and it's so human because we as humans are beautifully and confusingly complex. And so 
okay, you look at him and a lot of people who, you know, talk bad about slasher movies, it's like, oh, he's just murdering people and he's so big, whatever, whatever. And there's this whole complex, intricate web of sort of intra-psychic things that are going on in addition to, again, his sort of external environment. And so to return to your question again, I think we just have to establish where are we cognitively? What kind of conversation can we even have? And what is your level of understanding? Two, we really need to process this trauma that you've experienced and three, if we were able to do so, to, to have a conversation that was coherent, what what do you want? What would you prefer? What are, not even goals, I don't like that word, but like what what is your motivation in terms of, do you want to just have your space over here? Which is, again, I think what he's been telling us, I want my space, leave me alone and I'll be fine. If that's what you want, okay, cool. How can we make that happen in the context of the larger world? So I know that's what you want. Do you want us to put you on a little island and you can just stay there by yourself? Like, do you want to reintegrate into society? What do you want? And then how can we get how can we get you there? That point. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now the follow-up question I have, and I'm gonna kind of switch gears slightly. Um, many of the people in our audience are emerging writers, right? And we may have some horror writers here uh, today or in subsequent viewings. Um, You know, the thing with something like a Jason movie is it's always more successful when the writer uh, and developers and director of those movies remember these core things that you're talking about. So here we have an emerging writer who says, you know, I think I I think I got a new monster for the for the 2020s. I think I, you know, what would you urge that emerging writer to remember and to build into such a character? What is the difference between just another slasher or just an empty shell and something that truly touches us? Mm-hmm. And I think it is, and I have this conversation with my mom all the time. I think. I dislike characters that are very um, obviously good or bad. Like, I love the, like I said, complexity. I love the ambiguity of it in terms of, you know, you look at that character and you sort of think about those core tenets and it's like, ooh, it can go either way. I think Thanos is a good example of this. I think Eric Killmonger is a good example of this. Um, depending on how you, this is how I read them, you know, like in my mm-hmm. interpretations. But I think that, like, Jason is a killer with a backstory. Um, and I think Freddy Krueger is also a killer with a backstory that's just gross. But I think that that is what makes them more human. And one of the first geek therapy presentations I ever gave was about the existential nature of Freddy and Jason and how we love them because they touch us as human beings. There's something about even though they're like these supernatural creatures, right? That never die and whatever, they have power, whatever. There's something about them that is inherently human. And I think to me, characters and and sagas and stories, whatever, that are long lasting are so because they touch us in an existential way. There are things that we watch that, uh, that are just like, okay, this is cool to see. This is cool to read. But I think the things that to me are just so beautiful are those things that are, just as complex and intricate and messy as we are as human beings. So again, if I'm watching something and it's kind of like, okay, like that is obviously the good person. This is obviously the bad person. And there's no in between. There's no gray area, for lack of a better term. I, I, I don't, 
I just I'm like okay you just I want to be and maybe that's just me because I'm just no no I, but I like I, to think and and really have to grapple even morally with like ooh like how do I cognitively reconcile the fact that Jason just murders at will with the fact that he he has this trauma how do you reconcile that and I think right. every person does that differently well I have more trouble reconciling with the popularity of Freddie than I do of Jason. And, and primarily because it seems after the first film, uh, Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first film, it's like a whole population, a whole generation forgot. No, he was a child molester. Why are we rooting for him? Yes. And, and, and in both forms. He, viola- he's, he's he, violated, he violated and he murdered children. I got no right. sympathy for this dude. Zero. And, and right. then to see kids dressing up as him in Halloween really freaked me out. So yeah. it was like... I have, I, you know, stomp this boy down. This is right. where I'm coming from with but, that. But to go with, with uh, Doctor's theme, um, Freddy is a predator in life, and then he's a predator in supernatural life. Mm-hmm. Jason was a victim in life. And if you don't go to that particular camp, you never meet him. Yep. I mean, he eventually did go to New York and hell and and space and, and space. all that. Yeah, but right. that was no. at that point. At that point, those were just cash in movies. I don't think they have the same yes. core as the originals. Speaking of core, and since we're talking about that, if you don't mind, uh, Alex and I would like to escort you onto Alex Simmons' time machine. <laughs> We'd like to take you back, not that far, because Alex can go back to the 1800s. But we we'd like to take you back to, like, say, the 30s and 40s, and work our way through some uh, foundational um, uh, creatures or characters or monsters, um, and see your take on them. Um, you were talking about, you know, the backstory, the soul, the empathy that you could generate for Jason, and I think one of the things that helped create the horror genre, even though Dracula was the first of the universe, it was Karloff's Frankenstein mm-hmm. and the empathy that he was able to generate that gave that genre a chance. Mm-hmm. What do you think about... I mean, I don't know how versed you are in the Universal Monsters, but let's go through, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, and Wolfman, maybe the Invisible Man, but just see what you think as far as uh, what they offer um, from a psychological basis, what they offer culture. Yeah. What do you think about Frankenstein? I think Frankenstein, especially, um, he is a monster not of his own creation. And so Mm -hmm. I think, again, returning to this idea that for you know, marginalized folks or people who are othered uh, traditionally in culture, we too are monsters not of our own making. So if someone is you know has some sort of prejudicial or stereotypical belief about me, that's not because of me. That's because of you. So now I'm a monster in your eyes, but not right. my own making. And thinking about grappling with that every single day, right? Like walking into a space and knowing that you are you know immediately othered not because of anything you did, but just because of the way you look and, and who you were born as. And so when you think about Frankenstein, same thing. Like he oh, yeah. 
he didn't ask to be this way, yet he is. And now it's like, oh, God, kill the monster, whatever. You know, like, whoa. I just, you know, I just, whatever. So I think with Frankenstein, again, and I think that this is this is something that we see um, over time and sort of like the way that we connect with characters. Again, there's something felt that I can align with with that character, which is why I'm drawn to it. Um, yes. Drawn, you know what I'm saying? And, and particularly the Carlos rendition show that otherness, show that empathy, that sadness, that I'm just trying to be, you know. Um, trying to figure it all out. Well, wh- yeah. How about the werewolf now? How about, and again, yeah. looking. The wolf man. Yeah, the, the, right, the wolf man. Or, when the, the moon comes the out, I right. turn into a wolf. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what, what's your take on that? If you've seen any of the, again, the universal version of the wolf man as opposed to, you know, werewolf in London. So I have seen that. Uh, um, I, I I also got my fill of werewolves in True Blood, uh-huh. um, and it I, I can't believe I'm gonna say this out loud in Twilight, um, <laughs> which doesn't count. But okay, I was there. You know what? Yeah, you were I was, there. I was okay. in it. That's all right. I, th- I think there's something about. Um, I think there's something that we find attractive about that sort of like alpha energy that's sort of like I have a beast within me that if you push me too far is going to come out and I'm just going to like wreck stuff you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and so I think there is something appealing about that sort of being in touch with that carnal nature and sort of like whoa it's not me it's the moon like the moon (laughs) brought this out of me not me and now that the moon brought it out people are about to get messed up and I do think that there's something again just evolutionarily that we connect with um, with regard to just being like a mindless beast that has to, you know, go forth and do whatever to satisfy that, you know, that urge, whatever, whatever that it is. is yeah. you know? well, I mean, I, 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 would, I, would, I would also, though, I would also point out that, again, the takes on werewolves shifts again with where society is at any given decade. Because I can think of the Lon Chaney Jr. portrayals in the Universal film, and this is a man cursed. Mm-hmm. So he didn't choose this. He wasn't born into this. It, he was inflicted with this. Mm-hmm. And now he, there's no hope. Mm-hmm. And, and he's out of control at certain points in his life, and he's looking for help, and he's looking for some sort of salvation. And, and I, that's different from... The I'm a stud muffin, and yeah, I can tear you to pieces too. You know, it's 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 a different take. Or even with the underworld portrayals, where it's a whole family, it's a lore, it's a it's 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 generational. You know, and and there's a proud you know uh, legion of us mm-hmm. in another you know, another portion of of this world that we exist in. So I'm just you know again, I I I, I guess what you're saying is that. As, as creatives, and, and not to ignore the audience, but as the creatives, as writers and, and actors and producers trying to put out this kind of material, looking at these characters on more than one level is key. Yes. And then finding ways to connect with your audience in either an empathetic way, some sort of sympathetic way or manner, or if it is feeding our desire to feel power, at some point, maybe we're feeling powerless in our normal lives. But yeah. if we could hang with this dude, yeah, this person's got the power. I'm, I'm there. I'm there. So, but either way, connecting with your audience on some emotional level yeah. 
with your character. Okay. Um, the, so the, the werewolf type character is one of loss of control. And the vampire is always one of seduction. Mm-hmm. What is your take on vampires? I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because again, no, have fun, please, please. True Blood and what that series like, how sexualized it was. Oh yes, oh how, yeah. yes. It, I'm just thinking back and how they just ruined it at the end. But I think that there's some. To me, vampires are interesting because now we have that element of immortality, and I think that that's mm-hmm. another thing. Um, that I talked about before with regard to Jason and Freddie. I think that that's something that we, some people yearn for, um, e- even though we see that like in certain depictions of, of vampires that have lived centuries and centuries and centuries, like they're so they're isolated because everybody right. you get close to dies or whatever, you know, or you just have like this one person, whatever. So I think that the, what's interesting about vampires, I do think that, that, that seductive piece of, you know, just being, able to control people lustily um also being this just sort of like apex predator so like you are very there's a mastermindedness behind it whereas like you mentioned with werewolves it's just like oh well when the moon comes i don't know what's happening I'm I'm control, yeah, yeah. but vampires um, are so tactful and yeah. then i think again that sort of uh existential piece of like your your clock's not gonna run i mean depending on which variation we're watching but yeah really typically, if you just mind right. your business you you'll be around forever and ever <laughs> depends on how you do it uh there's a great take on that with um uh the hunger which was a movie in the 80s with david bowie and he aged out and they just put him with all the other vampires who aged out they locked him in a like a casket kind of thing in the attic and Susan Sarandon and um, Gen- Genevieve, I forget who the other actress was. They Genevieve just continued. I think so, I forget. Yeah. Uh, they just kept hitting the clubs. <laughs> so, well, okay. Um, I want to go to the 50s when, you know, science loses its mind and everything gets really big. Um, but before that, I can't resist asking you, uh, 2021, these three uh, classic style monsters the the um the frankenstein the werewolf the vampire which is the most difficult uh to uh treat as a as a patient hmm. that's a good question because i can now i'm thinking of all of them and the difficulties that i think there would be i think with um vampires i think that would be my weakness because i too am a person so like if you're gonna seduce me it's not like i have special mind powers that i'm not gonna fall under that seduction like all right then i guess that's just what we're gonna be doing so i think that would be just open the blinds a lot (laughs) we're gonna i'm gonna have a sunny part of the room Exactly. That would be yeah. a, that would definitely be a challenge. All right, let's go to the fifties. Uh, back into interpretation of what it means for, um, uh, for the culture. You know, a lot of big giant insects or flying saucers or the blob. It was science out of control. A lot of atomic things. Uh, uh, you know. So what? What was the creativity uh, reacting to in, sci- in society at that point? What do you, what's your interpretation? I think it's the giant cat- like, uh, grasshoppers and stuff. I think it's what we see now with regard to a lot of the fear around artificial intelligence. But it's you know, science don't get too big for your britches now because if you mm. do, 
you know, I think that similar, like uh, some of these contagion type movies or like zombie apocalypse, mm-hmm. the, it's traced back to somebody doing something in a the lab they weren't supposed to be doing. And whoop, now, like the stand almost, you know, now right. like this whole thing that's happening. And so I feel like it it was, and, and if I'm not mistaken, that was around the time there was fear of like, nuclear war and like oh, sure. you know, oh yeah yeah well we've had yeah. Hiroshima, nuclear war the red thread everything yeah. that was yeah. big and out of yeah. control yeah sure yeah. and so i think it was almost feeding into that fear like see uh this could happen because of science you know and <laughs> i think that science in that in that i think in that sense was to be feared but also could be controlled you know because like how do we resolve these things like we out science the science so we science. have this so now we got to out science it and do something else. Um, so I think it was a, a, a direct sort of like correlation to that. Well, well, just just quickly, um, the the um, oh god, War of the Worlds, and yes. again the version the, there's there's the um, the radio uh, version of that, the radio theater version of it with Orson Welles in the '40s. But then there's also I think it was the late '50s, early '60s. There's a film version of it, and in either case, we're invaded by aliens from another world. And our science can't take them out. They're mm-hmm. devastating. They're wiping us out. It's like we have no chance. And then suddenly their ships start falling from the skies and they start collapsing. And it turns out it's biological. It's some little bacteria on our earth that we've developed an immunity to and they can't and they're just dropping dead. So the world is saved. And it's funny because the War of the Worlds uh, version of the radio theater alluded to this without saying it. And then the movie said it a little bit, but it was some sort of divine intervention. It was, you know, that God in his wisdom had created this earth with such and such, and we should be thankful for blah, 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 blah. Cheat. Yeah, Cheat. yeah, yeah. So, so you know. Wait, wait, how are we going to end this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so he sneezed and he dropped dead. Okay. But, you, you know, again, when we think about the vampire scenario, at least the way it was presented until, you know, Anne Rice gave us an interview with the vampire, there was a whole thing, again, of religion versus evil. And to be protected, run into a church, wear a crucifix or a star of David, if you're of that particular persuasion. Um, do you feel like because, and again, I know this may be taking it in a different direction than you thought, but, you know, monsters, good guys, bad guys, creatures, empathy. Do you feel that religion or some sort of, uh, some sort of ethical code in our society is shifting and subsequently we have to deal with our monsters differently? Mm. And yeah, it's interesting because I think this is what we see a lot of in the 70s with a lot of the supernatural, um, the omen, Rosemary's Baby, I mm. think. Exorcist. Um, which is by far the scariest film I've ever seen in my life. The Exorcist, yeah. I just cannot. Um, yeah. and, and I think we see a lot of that sort of good versus evil supernatural element. Also demonic children, like, mm-hmm. which I think is just an interesting juxtaposition because children are innocent but then you have these children that are doing these like oh god what is happening you know so i do think that that sort of morality enters into the conversation particularly when we're talking about this the supernatural realm because again if we are fighting against those dark forces you know we have to bring the forces of light and so often those forces of light are 
connected to religion, which I think is interesting mm-hmm. now in the world we live in, which I don't think this is new, but I do think that with younger folks, I'm saying particularly with my clients, this sort of split from organized religion to more spirituality and sort of those types of more Eastern types of practices. And so it will just be interesting to see how that manifests. Cause I think there's a trope in horror of like, you know, Catholicism and exorcism and all of that. Will that evolve as we move forward to be less around organized codified religion and more so towards which also has a, a spirituality also has an element of morality it's just not yeah. codified in that way and it's more it's, individual i think doctor that you've just launched 23 scripts from people who are listening and said ah Do it. Get, the, get rid of that old priest and the young priest we're right. going. We're going with a Buddhist. <laughs> hey, you, you know why? And a rabbi, you know why, why not? Yeah, why, why not? Gone, gone. Because, because that's what it comes down to for me. Is it comes down to uh, what do you believe? What do you believe in? What are you trying right. to say? You know what characters are interesting and fascinating to you as a creative? And and yes, if there's only theoretically seven plots in the universe. What do you bring to the table? What's your right. lens that's going to allow us to look at this story in a different light? Like, mm-hmm. I look at, um, at, 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 like, again, Night of the Living Dead. I was alive when that film was made. I saw it on television when it first broadcast on TV in the 60s or something, or late 70s. Uh, no, late 60s, early 70s. So, I mean, George Romero, that's right, another the time machine thing. But, so, I'm really, I'm really zombied out. I mean, Walking Dead was like, no, 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 please. But it keeps going on. But when I saw, you know, I just didn't want to see any more zombies. And then I saw Shaun of the Dead and I cracked up because it was a different spin on the same old, same old. And, you know, and, and more so than, um, than Z Nation, although at least in Z Nation, they weren't lumbering like the mummy. They were running. It was like a horde of ants, you know. So I said, okay, different spin. And then what I think was Warm Hearts, where, okay, Maybe there's a cure, but it's something that happens if you fall in love. How does that work? Biology, heat, but mm, okay, I'll, I'll roll with that. I'll experiment with that thought. But it's like, yeah, what do you bring to the table that's different, that, 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 that tilts this thing in a slightly different direction so that you can attract a whole new audience or maybe the Just same audience? Just take that audience. zombie love app. You yeah, know? there you go. That's right. <laughs> Start dating, dating zombies. Yes, you know. You know. So Quiet. <laughs> quiet kind walk quiet. slowly but he's brains, for love. But, yeah right he's brains yeah um I, I wanted to play with that um because romero's last bit is on netflix now so the longevity of that is amazing but you brought up um what was the um the uh, walking dead mm-hmm. and um i wanted to see if we could zero in on a moment when the walking dead both in the comic book reading and this is where all your cards and letters are welcome. Um, <laughs> and in, in the, the show itself, when they mercilessly killed, very graphically, two very popular characters, um, their audience began to sink. Uh, there was, seemed to be a bridge too far, uh, both uh, when it happened in the comics and then when it happened. And they try to tease you and kill one guy and then they went and killed exactly the same guy exactly the same way as they did in the comics um and their enormous audience just turned to like ridiculously big audience 
Um, why do you think, uh, what would your interpretation of that be? I know it's unfair to say, why do you think? Um, yeah. What does that say about an audience saying, okay, uh, that's the line? What, what does that say about us? It's interesting because I was one of those people who left. I left The Walking Dead after, spoiler alert, I think it was after um, Carl. Um, after Okay. He, so I haven't watched it since yeah, then. You lasted longer than I did. Was, I, I just couldn't. And I'm like, what yeah. are we doing? And then they said Rick was going. And I was like, well, I'm done with this. Um, right. so I do think that there is a point where it's like, okay, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling that's too much. Um, and right. I think what we see sort of therapeutically, it's like there's a difference between sadness and depression. So there's a difference yeah. between experience of, experiencing a feeling and then it be, becoming a state of being that is overwhelming. And I think sometimes yeah. that's what we see in, like in The Walking Dead, for example, it's like, okay, this is like dark and there's like a lot of feelings. You remember the right. end of season one, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so much. And then they just go and it's like, okay, you know what? I can't, I can't, I can't take any more. And I'm just going to, to protect myself. I'm mm. going to this now. And I don't know how no, they I, have done since then, but I don't one of the things like that they took a hint. Go ahead. I'm sorry. One of the comments I had about it, and I'd love to see your feedback on it, is that in any story endeavor, any, any writing, any creation like that, you're entering into a contract between the creator and the recipient and the writer, the creator has to uphold her or his or their end of that creativity. You're entering into a relationship where the reader or viewer says, okay, I'm going to watch your story and I expect certain things. Now I'm not saying you have to patronize, but there has to be, at least some give and take. And I think that's what happened with that is that the experiment and God bless them for experimenting was what if we don't, mm -hmm. you know, and we've, now we know. <laughs> I want to go to a different direction that it hits on something that I know is close to your heart, but we haven't gotten a chance to, it's a slight step away from the traditional monsters. And I promise we'll end up with those again, but you are also a comic book geek as well, as I hear. And there's, especially in the last few Avengers movies, in the MCU, they categorize themselves as monsters. You know, um, both heroes and, and I think in Avengers of Ultron, uh, Age of Ultron, at one point, each of the major characters calls themselves a monster. Um, you could see that, yeah, sure, but it's intent and what you do with it. Um, is Marvel a universe full of monsters that just chooses how they express themselves? It's interesting because I think it goes back to what we were talking about with regard to Frankenstein, right? Like, they are people with these abilities, I mean... Tony Stark, that's a different thing. Like, he just, whatever. Um, but they are people with this tremendous amount of responsibility that did they give themselves, arguably? Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, they are people with a specific set of skills that <laughs> have the ability to intervene when something like Ultron happens, when something like Thanos happens. And I think maybe feel as if 
do they have the power to say like, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah, I know I can help, but y'all got this. I think it's cool. I'm going to just go sit over here. And I think that that sort of, it almost has that element to me of, I didn't ask for this. And now I feel, you know, I'm just this, this, this entity that was created, but not necessarily of my own making. And now Mm -hmm. I'm sort of like, this weight is on me. So like Frankenstein, the weight is now on him. So like, how do I move through the world as this big lumbering person who just hurts people when I touch them type of situation. So I think with the Avengers also, and I think we saw that in, I think it was starting in Age of Ultron, but more so in uh, Civil War, where it's like, okay, we need to either, somebody needs to check us or we need to just, you know, like, so Hmm. I think there's this element of like how do how do i be in the world with this content you know what i'm saying so i think that arguably if we're using that frame they are monstrous but is that necessarily a negative thing and and, and alex knows my favorite marvel character and i would be able to make the argument that this is one exception of person who was not monstrous until the snap and then became monstrous for a while and that's hawkeye Hawkeye is self-made and then loses everything and still doing a righteous thing, but he's a mass murderer, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when we see him as Ronin and that kind of stuff. Um, I wonder how history will view the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they really are taking fascinating chances with storytelling to, I mean, if you look at Tony Stark, the you know the arguably the hero of that first first major arc, most of the trouble is his fault. He created most, you know. Um, where it goes from here, I don't know. Um, we'll take this moment to make a quick left to Alex Simmons. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Big, big, again, we can definitely talk um, Avengers and stuff. Uh, um, another time. I want to go back to the monster thing again. And I, I want to go forward the to the monster things. I yeah. want to hear what her favorite I, monsters are. But yeah, well, and 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 I, that's a good one too. But um, I'd asked you earlier, and I, I don't think I got a chance to follow through on it. Horror versus gore, mm. and and where where do you see that? I don't want to lead you, so I'm just going to say, where do you see that? How do you see that? Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think that in the early or in the 2000s and since then, we, we, we moved into this trope of like, you know, torture porn, saw, hostile, movies like that. That ain't my jam. Um, I just, I, I, I don't know. It's just not like, it, it, I think when I was younger, I was like, oh yeah, great. But as you know, like, no, I, I just can't. Um, but I think that one thing that it is interesting to me is there is something, and, and I don't know if we're going to touch on this, but like what we saw in the sixties, right. With Hitchcock and like psychological horror and all of that, there is something very different about gore and physically um, scary types of monsters versus like the person next door who might just be sitting, like Norman Bates might just be sitting next to you on a bus. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you have no idea that, the, or like I think American Psycho did an amazing job of sort of like that with Patrick Bateman. And so I think that gore for me is like, uh, okay, yeah, I, yep, that's a lot. Like that's a lot. And to me, what is 
I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's not my cup of tea because I think I appreciate more of the, again, complexity and intricacy of like horror that you can't readily see. So I think that supernatural movies, like I'm right now, I'm like rewatching the whole Conjuring universe. And I think there's something about that to where it's kind of like, ooh, this is like physical, but not really. And there's like a, and I think gore to me is just very in your face. I think, I, you know, it has a place. The place is just not on my TV. You know what I'm saying? I just, <laughs> very, it's very difficult for me. Um, well, I find, I find it kind of interesting because, um, and I'll, I'll juxtaposition. There's there's the gore of of a of a Freddy Krueger film or even a Jason film, uh, or certain elements that are gory, not the whole film. And then and it's disturbing. And then there's a disturbing, like a certain scene in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, and if if anybody has seen the film, I don't, I don't know if you have Chris or not, but there's a scene when they're taking the village where they've come to save Private Ryan in particular. And one of the soldiers gets into a hand-to-hand uh, fight with a German s- soldier, sure. and and it's a the slight it's a very slight American soldier fighting this sort of bruiser of a German soldier, and the battle comes down to a bayonet, uh, which is being brandished like a knife, and the German soldier gets on top of the American soldier and he he has the blade on his chest, and then begins to spoiler alert slowly shove it into his chest and the whole time he's doing it the guy is pleading pleading for his life until it you know it starts to intercut and then he can't mm-hmm. can't say anything and the Nazis. And, and, <laughs> yeah right and the Nazi, the, the german soldier is going why is it you can call him a nazi very very intimate and that was that disturbed me for days that disturbed me more than the opening scene of that movie when they were being cut down while trying to take the beach. So, you know, to me, it's, there's a, a sort of a sadistic aspect of certain gore scenes that, you know, and it's me, I don't need. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with uh, a lot of property or product that's produced with a sadistic slant for the sake of sensationalism. And that bothers me. And, I, and again, I don't know if that's, if that's where some of these films are going. I think some of it, some of it is just lack of, of creativity. It's like, oh, yeah, let's, just, let's just cut, let's just do this for the sensationalistic moment because we don't know what else to do. But I think other times it feels like this is particularly set up hmm. to elicit this kind of feeling in this moment. Well, I would, I would point out that there is an audience for slasher and an audience for gore. What they get out of it is what they get out of it. I don't know, but there's an audience for everything. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I think what, what I just add to that is, I do think that the, the scene you just described from Saving Private Ryan, I don't like war movies, so no thank you. But I think what, to me, sort of stuck with me about that is I think that sometimes too, which is another thing, another reason why I think the Norman Bates, the Patrick Batemans, the, um, you know, like the slashers of the, the, the human slashers of the world, it's hard to fathom that humanity can go that way. Mm. Like someone can do that to another person. I think like with the Saw franchise and we have the, you know, I, I stopped after number two, but we have the, you know, the whole backstory of Jigsaw and like why he's doing that. And so I think that, you know, in in some instances there is creativity to give 
a lens to okay why are you why are you doing this because again i think we don't want to envision that darker side of humanity and so i think for some people who don't particularly like gore it's like i don't want to think about that and i think for maybe some folks who lean into it it's because yep people can be messed up like this and it like let's not ignore that that's a thing that happens because Mm -hmm. oftentimes a lot of this gore i mean it's based in reality these things happen and Mm -hmm. we don't want to think about it and they still have you know what i'm saying i I I would i would say that for me it it's probably the difference between uh, a meal every now and then of this and and a, and a series of franchise fast food restaurants, mm-hmm. and and I feel like that's what's happening. That uh, for a certain period of time, it was like fast food. It was just we're just we're just churning these suckers out because they sell, you know. And that and I and I do believe that media affects people, and you know it's not just we affect media. No, media affects people, and you know there's a certain sort of concern I have for that. Yeah. But that's that's me. That's me. I, I need to point out that we've been going for almost an hour, and so we're we're, we're sort yeah. of coming down to the hour. But I know the Chris, words right out of my yes. mouth. Chris, Chris I, has got I yeah. Think, go for it, Chris. I think we have a final final question for you, and if it's okay with you, I'd like to kind of put together two of the things you use and treat. Okay, one um, you do consultation that's focused on the principles of equity, diversity, and inclusion. How do you see those areas possibly being represented in your other love, horror? How do you see those things happening? Because, you know, for years or decades, you know, uh, the, the, the black guy would be the first one killed and the cheerleader would be the second one chill, killed. But, you know, films are starting to, you know, get out and a few others are starting to change that. How do we see it? And what, what does equity horror or diversity horror or inclusion horror mean? What does, what would that look like for you? It's I'm laughing because you took the words right out of my mouth. Like even growing up and still now I'm like, Oh, that black dude gonna die. He's gonna be the first one. To five die. minutes. He's got five minutes. He's gonna he's gonna die like the most gruesome. I remember in the Friday the Thirteenth remake, the black the black guy died like Jason threw an axe and he was like laying out there dying, like dying slowly. And I was like, why they do that to the black dude? But I think to me, what it looks like a couple of things. One, I think it looks like um, representation. Representation matters. So to see not just like a group of white beautiful 20-somethings that are pretending to be teenagers. Like, no, I think we have to see all folks represented in all films, but particularly in horror and not just as, like, the the funny gay sidekick or, like, whatever. Like, I think we have to expand our ideas. Like, the final girl is always a skinny white girl. Like, why does that have to be a thing? Can we, can we not? Like, can we just... It's 2021. Can we go above and beyond? And so I think, one, it looks like representation... I think, too, it looks like films like Get Out and shows like Lovecraft Country that this is the horror that people of color experience every single day. And I think we could insert any other marginalized group into that. We can make a horror film about what it means to be a trans person in America. And so I think that, again, horror is not just things that go bump in the night. It's me living my life every single day in the skin, in my truth. And so I think representation and DEI and horror looks like that. Like let's 
the Jordan Peels of the world, the Misha Greens of the world. Like, let's bring that to the forefront and stop acting like that's not a thing that people experience every day. Because again, that is horrific. And you think about living that same thing every single day, that is trauma. And I think those yeah. two things put together are are typically what elements that we find in most horror films. Would What would you say to the filmmaker or the author who wants to make the monster um, ethnic or trans? Uh, I don't think that address, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe it does address the need, but uh, I would feel, I would, yeah. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? It's interesting because I sat on a, a panel at a at a con with a, a comic book author who shall remain, remain nameless. But I sat on a panel merciful. having the discussion about whose responsibility is it like creatively to ensure that your representations are accurate. Um, and we got in the conversation around like, you know, but if I if I portray a character like that is art, I'm not I'm not trying to make it an accurate portrayal. It's just an art. Like so if I want to portray a trans person or, you know, a black person or whoever in this way, I'm not doing it because that's reflective of, of society. I'm doing that because that's my art. And I think for me as a as a clinician and, and talking to people who engage with this material, if I as a as a marginalized person only see my likeness portrayed in a negative way, how do you think I'm gonna internalize that? And right. so I think that and again, I Alex and I have had a conversation about this. I don't necessarily think of myself as a creative. Um so I think that my, you know, my opinions about this may be whatever biased in some way, but I, I do think that there is a semblance of responsibility about how you represent particularly marginalized people because people who are marginalized are often depicted in this sort of like negative type of way. And I think there is a creative responsibility of how am I contributing to that? And if I am contributing to that, am I like claiming that like, yep, I know this is like, I know that this is not, you know, people are not monoliths and this is not representative of all folks. But I think so often there's this like veil of, well, this is creativity so I can do whatever I want. And then there's like an absolving of responsibility of how that. Yeah, I think you have to be responsible. We will go back to Alex's uh, mention before of George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. The hero of that is an African-American guy until the the real heroes come in and commit murder. And uh, really a strong statement um, way back, you know, when Alex was only like 70. It just, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that... that I think that that's a pretty good example of you are so um, in trouble. being responsible, you know, you are in, so uh, get in it. storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Doc, I am contractually ob- obligated to <laughs> mess with me, right? <laughs> just, a, just a little bit, but it is what it is. What would you like to see? Final, final question. This is like the third final question, Doc, but you've been so interesting and thank you for your time again. Um, what would you like to see? What, um, you know, everything's opening up again and your favorite uh, format, whether it's film or TV or comic or novel, what monster would you like to see? What interpretation would you like to see? Mm-hmm. So I, I am a fan of like the, again, like the conjuring type of supernatural demons type of situation. So 
Um, I like that. And, and as again, anybody take this, but just make sure you at me. Um, I would like to see an interpretation <laughs> of that that is not so rooted in like Catholicism and the church, mm-hmm. because I do think we have seen in the past, like I'm thinking of like surfing in the rainbow, um, where we see more like other forms of spirituality and religion used to sort of like ward off the evil. Um, I would like to see more of that. Um, I would also like to see, um, uh, recently i think it was two years ago uh scary stories to tell in the dark uh came out that movie whatever was maybe like a six but i think it was they made that movie off of a book book, a series of books that i loved like from the the mid 90s and so i would like to see more of that like millennials like we're getting like a little bit bring some of that stuff back like bring that that just warmed my nostalgic heart and so but i would like to see more of the good versus evil that's not rooted in like organized religion because again there's so much more than that yeah Yeah. maybe you know the the uh what was it um um, i've i've lost the word i'm sorry i don't know the the social promise you know the the social contract you know we seem to have forgotten that there's basics yes and no we don't need to have um a, a priest involved in that or you know a governor it's just you know what's What's the right thing to do? Um, I don't know. I hope America's ready. I hope the world's ready for that. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, um, again, uh, Vanessa, thank you so much for, for spending this time with us. And I hope we didn't drive you too crazy. <laughs> no, oh, no, this was a blast. And, and happy Father's Day to everyone. Thank you oh, very much. Parker Hicks, yeah. my father-in-law, yeah. Joe Crest. Happy Father's Day. Yes, yes, yes. And happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Um, You know, crack open that barbecue or whatever the heck it is you're going to do and enjoy your day. I'm certainly going to enjoy mine. And Chris, I hope you're going to enjoy yours. Oh, yeah. I'm having a great time. It's beautiful weather out. And we're inside doing a a Facebook Live. It's exactly exactly (laughs) how I like to do it. (laughs) Well, you got the shirt for it. You know, (laughs) one of these. Yeah. Okay, well, Again, either way. Thank you very much. I thank love you. your vision. Um, uh, about the, uh, what's that big head uh, little doll there? What are those called? Bobbleheads or whatever it was? Yeah, the pop-ups. The, the yeah. pop-ups. Yep, and you got vision right there. So, yes, I was looking I was looking for a Hawkeye, but, you know, you can't get everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you take you. care, everybody. Much. Take care. Thanks All again. Right, peace. Bye-bye.